stains can be hard to get out. If they weren't, we wouldn't have the detergent industrial complex that we see displayed on supermarket shelves and in television advertisements. Procter and Gamble and Kimberly Clark would be at a loss to know what to do with themselves. On Sunday, this past Sunday, I mentioned Macbeth in Shakespeare's play of that name, haunted by the indelible blood on his hands after he had murdered Duncan the king. Macbeth says, whence is that knocking? How is it with me when every noise appalls me? What hands are here? How they pluck out mine eyes. Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No. This my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnadine, making the green one red. He was so guilty, his blood would have turned the sea red, is what that means. And though blood may eventually wash off, it and his guilt, Macbeth is never free from. So too is it difficult to break free of a chronic illness like migraine headaches, as members of our congregation know only too well, or a wasting sickness like leprosy, with which men in both of today's Bible readings are afflicted. In our first lesson, we heard an account of the healing of the Aramean general, Naaman, from a skin disease recorded in 2 Kings chapter 5. In Greek and in Hebrew, the term leprosy can refer to a variety of skin diseases more than just Hansen's disease, which is what we typically call leprosy today. Naaman comes to Israel from Aram, which is roughly where Syria is today, seeking healing to be made clean in the language of ancient Israel, in which Leprosy was a form of ritual impurity that came with the curse of social isolation. Elisha tells Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times in order to be healed. And Naaman scorns the idea. But Naaman's servants talk him into it. And eventually he follows Elisha's instructions. And behold, he is healed. Miraculous liberation from illness. In our second lesson from the first chapter of Mark, Jesus heals the man there of his skin disease simply by stretching out his hand and touching him. Next Wednesday, we'll hear of Jesus healing a paralyzed man and saying, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. Physical healing 
demonstrates God's power and authority over nature, and it is also an outward sign that God can make us clean inside too. He can cleanse us from the guilt that no pharmaceutical can. No one is beyond God's ability to cleanse and to save from sin and guilt, which is what bothered Jonah so much about the Ninevites and bothers us about people, Macbeth, for example, that we don't think can or should be forgiven. Last Wednesday, we heard that Lent reminds us that repentance is necessary. Today reminds us that forgiveness and healing are possible, even for sinners like us. Now, let's hear the less well-known aftermath of Naaman's healing from the next few verses of 1 Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 15, just after today's reading. First lesson ends. It says, Then Naaman returned to the man of God, that's Elisha, he and all his company, having been healed. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master, this is Naaman speaking of the king of Aram, when my master Naaman said, goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Ramon, when I do bow down in the house of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. peculiar that. As a sign of his gratitude, Naaman is ready to shower Elisha with the riches of Aram, but Elisha refuses steadfastly to accept anything. So Naaman asks Elisha for these two mule loads of earth from Israel to bring back home to Aram with him, saying that he's not on any account going to offer burnt sacrifices to any god but the Lord. And then we get this, something that's rarely included in Sunday school or lectionary versions of the story. He says to Elisha, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When I go into the house of Ramon with my master, the king, and he leans on my arm and I bow down with him, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha says to him, go in peace. Naaman was asking Elisha for God's pardon when Naaman went in with the Aramean king 
to worship Ramon. In Hebrew, Ramon means pomegranate, the fruit. And in this case, it was probably another term for Hadad, who was an Aramean, Aramean deity. Naaman was looking for reassurance or instruction from Elisha about how to square this duty he had to his master with his new devotion to the Lord, the God of Israel. Naaman's request illustrates the difficulty and the dilemmas we face in trying to live faithfully in our fallen and conflicted world. Elisha offers him this cryptic response, go in peace. He doesn't say, well, bowing down to Ramon is okay as long as you don't mean anything by it. He doesn't say, actually, it's really bad, but God's going to forgive you anyway. It's left ambiguous at go in peace. Which is on the one hand frustrating and on the other maybe a little encouraging because it reflects the reality that we also live in. That we won't always know what the right thing to do is. More often than not, our problem is that we do know what's right and wrong, but simply don't want to do what's right and renounce what's wrong. But when we don't know, when we've reflected and done our homework and still cannot figure out what is best or feel trapped into doing what we ought not to do, God gives us his peace. Lent is a season that reminds us that through our temptations, through our ethical struggles, through our failings and their consequences, through our choosing the least bad option, God remains with us. In Jesus Christ, he has defeated sin and death and has given us a model of the godly life. As Elisha and Jesus both knew, Different circumstances may call for different responses. Difficult issues will inevitably arise, and we take time this Lent to prepare ourselves using the tools God has given us, among them worship and prayer, studying scripture, seeking wisdom, and encouragement in Christian community. We discipline ourselves by abstention, in order to wean ourselves from the ersatz idols to which we are tempted, and by exertion to cling all the more to the genuine and true God. Through it all and its ambiguities, we can take comfort that God remains the same, full of grace and glory, holding us secure. When we stray, lured and devastated by idols, weakly resigned to the evils we deplore, he sees us while we are yet far off and comes running to meet us, to welcome us home again, to discipline us as his beloved children, to refine our dross and bring us forth as gold, to cleanse us as with hyssop that we may be whiter than snow.